the Click owns this business. Coming down the aisle, Bimbo, Jimbo, baby, who is? You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Give me a hell yeah. Today, woo, I've got the stop and profile like never before. From our studios in downtown San Francisco, this is In The Click, Bimbo Jimbo, alongside my tag team partner, Baby Huey. Hello, and welcome again, everybody. We're live, pal. Happy birthday, Jimbo. Oh, thanks, Baby Huey. Happy birthday, pal. Happy birthday, pal. Yes, that is another another trip around the sun has come and gone for yours truly. And we are back here at In The Click, though, to uh, to get caught up. And we have... Um, we have a few things that we sort of left out of uh, of last episode that we did that, uh, much to my chagrin, I really wanted to talk about. So we're going to be catching up on some odds and ends today uh, that, uh, that right off the top here, we're going to talk about uh, Steve Austin's uh, latest WWE Network venture and uh, his first episode they did with The Undertaker. But the main thing uh, that I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about last episode was Dana Brooke and Dave Batista's budding Twitter love story, the romance that has taken the wrestling world by storm. It's a better love story than The Notebook, a better love story than Twilight. It's great. I loved it. Uh, all of their, their just salacious tweeting to one another uh, is just uh, been fantastic to watch. What have, you, what have you made of this whole situation? I'm just like at the point now. Okay, well, first off, uh, for anyone who's on Twitter and depending on your settings, you can get like email notifications of like maybe some stuff you might have missed on Twitter based on people you follow and you might want to go check out this particular tweet, like something that's important. And so I'm checking at in the click at gmail.com and we get one of those Twitter notification emails and Dana Brooke's tweet is like one of the most recent things we need to go check out. So I click on it and it's her telling Batista like calling him daddy and like I need the animal to show me some more moves or whatever the exact I'm paraphrasing yeah. so I'm like man this is getting hot and steamy on Twitter well that that was the latest that was the latest one so this all started when uh, Batista announced to the world that he was single again and then uh, essentially shot his shot with Dana Brooke on Twitter and she responded with some sexy gifts and sort of just yeah let's do this whole thing so it's been it's been great to see and then she was on uh wwe's the bump uh not this not the most recent episode but the one before that to talk about all this going down and uh told the world that uh that yes that they have a a planned date in mind and everything like that so that this will be uh, going down and not just in the DM. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it because we already have seen it. Trent, like what my first thought when I saw this happening, one, it's amazing to see how just publicly this was all playing out and how like sort of good natured they were being about it and how good natured the wrestling fan base was being about it too. There's a lot of support going on. And, you know, I've been a big supporter of Dana Brooke for a while. 
Uh, I, I really uh, think that she's been underutilized by WWE. So I saw this happening. I was like, one, this is great. In the back of my mind, I was like, two, this could be really great for her in terms of being on WWE TV more because this is a big deal to have uh, this whole thing going on with Batista. And sure enough, the last couple of weeks, she's been she's been in a, in, a, in a better spot than she has been in a while. So I, I'm hoping this leads to a to a Dana Brooke push uh, and perhaps some type of uh, some type of pairing, perhaps with. With, uh, with Big Dave beyond just the romance, but this is this has been great for Dana Brooke all around. You find perhaps love, and you and you find uh, maybe some more creative opportunities. I'm just man. Some guys have all the luck. I mean, really, Batista. He just throws it out on Twitter. Yeah, I'm single again, and then ladies just come crawling for him. It's like man, like if I put that on Twitter, I look like some lonely, <laughs> lonely person, and it's just like. Man, I look like a loser on Twitter if I do that. Oh, you wouldn't look like a loser. You're just, a, you know, baby, he'll you announce to the world that you're single again, you know? Should I? You know, people, will come, out people, there? people will come running, I'm sure. Just like, hey, hey, just put it out there. Like, People will probably be assuming that you mean you broke up with me, but, <laughs> you know, take that for what it's <laughs> worth. But no, you know, Dave's a big movie star, Starf Stuber. <laughs> Terrible movie. Um <laughs> It was funny because when uh, when Dana Brooke was on the bump, by the way, great show starring my future wife uh, Kayla Braxton. When's that on exactly? Wednesday mornings on the network. It's on the network. They live stream it on Instagram. It's great stuff. Okay. Uh, but uh, she was talking about you know their flirtations and how she had just watched uh, Stuber on her flight and was putting over how funny she thought it was. So <laughs> she she went to sleep. Quote Eminem. <laughs> Not a jealous man, but females lie because that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> love Big Dave, love Dana Brooke, but that movie was crap. Okay, how about this? Just early predictions or whatever. When Batista goes into the WWE Hall of Fame next year, will she be his date? Oh, absolutely. I, I think absolutely. You think it'll last till then? I, I think. I think. I think it will for sure. I think there'll be some type of reference to it. I am hoping for that, and that that perfectly segues, baby Huey, into our did there for you? into our next topic, which is the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, they've announced uh, two entrants, so to speak, two two at least uh, announcements regarding the Hall of Fame. Let's start with uh, let's start with the the, the happy one yeah. with Dave Batista going in rightfully so. Uh, big congratulations to Batista. I, I think he is somebody that even though he is now a soon to be WWE Hall of Famer, I think is still underrated uh, by a lot of the wrestling fandom uh, just for his contributions and how good he really was mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. I mean. Uh, I love Batista. I, I I thought it was so cool for him to come back. I know he got to ride off into the sunset, call his own shot, and I'm very happy for him uh, that he got to do that this past year at WrestleMania. But I miss seeing Dave every week uh, in, in my living room and wrestling because he is really talented. I think he could show this younger crop of wrestlers a lot in terms of star power. I, th- I think Dave is one of those elusive uh, big box office guys. Maybe maybe not with Stuber, but in the wrestling ring, I think he is big box office. I I, I love Dave Batista. I love just the swagger that he always brought. You know, he he had this very cool, unique style to him. Always yeah. the things that he wore, his promo delivery, and everything like that. Going back to Evolution, when he you know he really became a standout. Uh, there and everything, but even beyond that, his feud with John Cena, he was he was terrific. I I really really missed. He had a fantastic match with the Undertaker at WrestleMania 23. Uh, you know he he was a big deal. Yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember because he definitely was a big part of SmackDown with the the initial first brand split. Yeah, 
and you know, he became eventually a world champion and became really the face of SmackDown. And and I think you know we look back on SmackDown now. It's uh, it was the place you know Eddie Guerrero got to shine and just a lot of the other superstars that are on that brand during that time. And Batista was one of them that really took advantage of that opportunity and like the young talent at that time to stand out and was just it was just cool like someone like him. Not every big guy like his size has kind of the total package. No pun intended. But he was able to, as you said, talk on the mic. Yeah, he he had an undeniable charisma about him. Uh, you know, and and I, I think he was he was very good in the ring, uh, and he delivered in the big moments. And some of the most just you know the the thumb up thumb down moment with uh, both with Randy Orton when Evolution turned on Randy Orton, but then to bring that full circle when he had won the Royal Rumble and decide to take on Triple H at WrestleMania. That's that's an indelible moment in, in wrestling history and one of my favorite gifts to use. Yes, it is. I was, also, also, Dave Bautista's like myriad of times that he's quit, too, has, has always been hilarious, too. The, his, the waving goodbye, the just the I quit. It's been tremendous stuff. Well, give me what I want. But I, it, it's Bautista, as you said, the charisma, I mean, in Hollywood, as you said, with all the Guardian stuff and – you know, the, the rumor that he might be Bane and Batman or he's trying to audition for. But but going back to yeah, the folks on WWE time, it was he was a lot of fun. I love that he used to use the power bomb or his version of a power Batista bomb. bomb, baby. Yeah, I love the power bomb. I mean, that's something we always talk about. Is there's a lot of these moves we grew up with, and now a lot of them have turned just into more transitional moves, like the super kick, DDT. Even now, like it looks like the stunner or diamond cutter, he kind of gets kind of used as more transi- transitional type moves in a, in the course of a match. But Batista, his power bomb, I used to love watching that. So for him, as far as a big guy with a big power set moves in the ring, when he delivered that power bomb, it was game over after that. And just his entrance, you know, with Pyro go I know it's just the audio real only, but I'm doing I wish you guys could see what I see sometimes. But his whole entrance was spectacular to watch in person on TV. And I actually got to meet him once. He came by the studio years ago for an interview. Super nice. So it's just cool. Like, of course, yeah, I've been a big fan ever since. He is a larger than life persona. So I was very, very excited to see that announcement that he was going in. Uh, the other announcement was that the New World Order, the NWO, will be inducted as a faction into the WWE Hall of Fame. And this highlights something that we'll probably complain about every year until the rule gets changed. The idea of being a multi-time Hall of Famer is so insanely <laughs> stupid. And again, if you're going in as a faction or what have you, it's just like that faction goes in. Like, I don't think anybody should be a two-time or a three-time Hall of Famer as, as the, we have, like, this running rampant now. And, and and beside the point there, who they're deciding to highlight in the NWO to me is completely off base in, in one respect. Obviously, you have Hall, Nash, and Hogan. The, the original in terms of in-ring performers that formed the NWO. Yeah. The WWE decided to include in this... Uh, Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac, a.k.a. Six. Uh, and no doubt about it, he was a big part of the NWO on like sort of like that secondary level. Uh, but he is not the one to sort of highlight here uh, in terms of inducting the NWO. If you want to include a fourth in this, and I'm not and I'm not saying that you have to, but if you are, there's one name and one name only that is a fourth person to be included in the NWO. 
Scott Norton. Not Scott Norton, <laughs> but Eric Bischoff. And Eric Bischoff is a is a Hall of Famer in his own right. But this to me just feels like a slap in the face. It's like it was Eric's brainchild and it was Scott and Kevin and Hogan's execution that made the NWO mm-hmm. thing come. Like, so to not include Eric Bischoff in this, it, to, to me, it, it, is, it, it boggles the mind. Well, do you think maybe eventually the plan is down the road Bischoff goes in on his own into the Hall of Fame? No, because they have so many times that like that they want to have multi-time Hall of Famers and stuff like that, that, uh, that why not just do it here? They, they, they inducted DX last year mm-hmm. to sort of skirt the issue so they wouldn't have to induct China by herself. If, if Eric has any sort of heat or anything like that, it's like this would be the perfect opportunity to sort of uh, mitigate Get his, his amount of mic time and stuff like that so they don't have to hear about him anymore. But again, yeah. he is a Hall of Famer in his own right. But to not have him be on that stage for the NWO, as he would be the only one to be going in for the first time, too, mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It's completely absurd. Unless maybe is he going to be the one to induct him? That's re- that that would almost be even a bigger slap. It's like, like you're I, this I, close. It's like no, I'm here to like welcome these guys of a of a thing that was sort of like not sort of was my idea. Kind of started in Japan. It, that's and he he has already gone record. That's not where he got the idea. So like that that whole thing, like God, all the marks out there that want to wank to that idea, like, well, there was go go run up a tree. Like you're you're completely off base. Uh, so like for for Easy E to not get his recognition here, that that was very disappointing. But it's been a tough year for the guy. Yeah, well, career wise, yeah. But, but well, the thing is, even with the NWI and, and online, just reading a lot of the reactions and responses from people is like I would I doubt they would do this, or if I don't know if there's a way they can do this. Acknowledge every member of the NWO, Ugh. the regular, the original NWO, the Wolfpack version, the 2000, which is more of like the black and silver, right? I don't think that. I don't think those like they want to acknowledge all of that. But I mean, but there was someone posted like a photo, like it would be awesome if they could get like all of them on stage at one time. That would be kind of funny. Well, I mean, that, they're in light. That more highlights why the NWO sucked by the end. Is they, it became like the Avengers, where everybody, everybody, they let everybody in. Yeah. But they, but but I wonder if they will acknowledge that it did spawn off. I mean, the merch sales alone was amazing, but like all the like um, copycats or, or 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 people that were trying to duplicate what they were doing. You remember the LWO, the BWO, and ECW, and all these other factions that were trying to uh, copy what yeah. they were doing. So that'd be kind of cool. Did the influence they had on the business? I, I mean, I mean, the NWO certainly. Uh, our hall of, is a hall of fame faction. They're yeah. one. Of the, they're one of the greatest factions of all time. I mean, the, the t-shirt sales alone, like they still sell them today. Uh, I just, again, I have a problem with the. You're inducting like, apparently four guys. You're highlighting yeah. four members, and the fourth one, you know, he was late. Like, when did X Pac or Six at the time? I mean, join? He, he was he was a big part of of the NWO when it was he still was, good. He was like the first recruitment, but, right? If I remember, but like, it, it's still like. If you're the inducting, it's got to be the three with Eric Bischoff. But the bigger point is that there are still so many people that haven't been inducted once. 
yeah. that, that belong in there. And, you know, my, my crusade until she gets in, the one person that I, I probably want to see in, in the Hall of Fame more than anyone is Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. And, and, I, and I keep coming back to that. I know last year when we did our Hall of Fame show, she was, she was in sort of our, our list of, uh, of who we would want to see inducted. And I see these announcements and, you know, maybe part of it's because I've been, you know, rewatching some old Macho Man documentaries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's, you know, miss, for Miss Elizabeth to not be in the WWE Hall of Fame is a travesty to me. You know, she was the definition of class. She defined what it was to be a babyface valet slash manager. Uh, she was the first lady of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know a lot of people you know, have their sort of uh, personal favorites that they're campaigning for. I, I'm picking Liz, uh, and that, that's that's what I'm back. And I know British Bulldog, has, British Bulldog. Has, has a huge groundswell of support, I, and I, I firmly believe he's going to get in. I, I don't know what is keeping those people out, but we're and I also don't believe that you should be inducted based on the geography of where the WrestleMania is because yeah. waiting to do stuff like that gets you into, into a situation where, well, they're gone now. They've passed away now. But we're in Florida this year for WrestleMania uh, where, you know, Macho Man and Liz spend a good amount of their time and everything like that. So have have the genius, have Lanny Poffo induct her this year. She, she belongs. I, I hope. And there's still plenty of time. Uh, for for a lot of deserving people to get in, and Bridge Bulldogs' kids, his, his children live in Florida as well, in the Tampa Bay area. So I think they can easily be on call to accept the the Hall of Fame for him, and you know, get maybe his ex wife out there and stuff. But yeah, I mean, well, I think there's kind of an issue with. I'm sure for them, the Hall of Fame, there's a running list of people we all would like to see get in eventually. Unfortunately, a good portion of them are no longer with us. So I wonder if they're trying to figure out a way to balance. You got to get some live bodies for the actual like acceptance speeches. But you have live bodies um, that have already been inducted here. Yeah, like, no, I, I get that. I'm just saying I think for them, they probably want a balance of like actual live bodies to uh, go up there, accept the award while they're alive. And so I, I just wonder how many deceased superstars will they incorporate every year? Like what's the yeah. number? Like no more than two. I, and I, and I, and I get that. However, I will, I would, I would counterpoint with this. Um, when I was at the hall of fame ceremony for WrestleMania 23 and they inducted Mr. Perfect mm-hmm. who had already passed away. Uh, it was, it was obviously incredibly sad to not have him there to be able to be there and be still yeah. alive to accept it. But it was incredibly poignant and incredibly moving to see his wife, his, you know, his whole family, his son, obviously, you know, Joe, uh, there, you know, in the Mr. Perfect outfit, too, which was great to hear Wade Boggs induct him and tell his very personal story. Story I'd never heard before about how Mr. Perfect literally saved Wade Boggs' life. Um, it was just as impactful, if not more so, because mm-hmm. it highlights the fact that, um, you know, he was taken way too young and they should be inducted just based on merit, whether they're here or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there's still somebody connected to them to speak for their behalf, because we're going to get to a, a, a point where there are, there aren't people to speak for them. You know, who's going to speak for Miss Elizabeth? Well, maybe uh, it could, it could you could have Hogan or Lanny Poffo do it. I'm sure. Um, maybe you have one of the current uh, you know female managers uh, induct her, and then you have one of the two of them accept for her. But it's like we're we're getting to an era where you need to induct those people for the people that can tell their story also. Mm-hmm. So they have somebody to speak for them. 
Um, so that's what I would say about that. I, I, I would love for the WWE, like, if there was a job that I was born for, uh, it is to be the curator of a, of a, of a wrestling Hall of Fame, specifically the uh, WWE Hall of Fame brick and mortar. Uh, I would apply for that job in a heartbeat. It's like uh, you could be like the guy in Night at the Museum. <laughs> Not a security guard. I, w- I w- it would be somebody that uh, I would love to sort of have a hand in the the exhibits and the the voting process and stuff like that. But uh, you know, so we've we've had two announcements with more to come. Um, it's early though, December. Usually, don't they wait till like maybe mid January, early February to kind of start it's, announcing? It's these? sort of varied. Last year, it felt very late with yes. how they announced the Hall of Fame class. But in years prior, they have announced them more early and sort of rolled them out. Um, but you know, it took them forever to put Macho Man in, which was a which was a big one for me. Uh, and so we'll we will see if they they follow up here. I mean, I I wouldn't have been mad if they put Macho Man and Liz in together. Um, mm, yeah, but. This is where we're at, and that's again, that's sort of my my hill that I'm choosing to sort of uh, make my stand on. I'm trying to think who else could it maybe add that's alive right now. Yeah, well, we can do an upcoming episodes people that are deserving that haven't been put in yet. But I do want to I do want to circle back to what we teased at the top of the show, which was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's Broken Skull Chronicles. His <laughs> first guest was uh, uh, was it uh, Texas Red, Mean Mark Callis, yes, uh, Skyscraper, the American Badass. The Undertaker, uh, Kane, the Undertaker, <laughs> the uh, Undertaker. He was uh, his first guest, and it was—I mean—rave reviews. It was a really, yeah. really fun watch. Um, it was—I think—it was a perfect first guest because it's really one of the first times that we've seen the Undertaker out of character for an extended period of time like that, doing an interview like that. I think it speaks to the relationship between him and Steve that he would do that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even even when, like, Ric Flair retired and stuff like that, you know, Undertaker's still in character. Sean retires, he comes out in character. So, you know, I appreciate Undertaker's dedication to the gimmick and everything like that, but it mm-hmm. really highlighted just how, I think, much respect was there for him to do this show with Steve. Um, and it was it was, it was uh, education listening to it. What'd you think? I loved it. it it's, uh, it's unfortunate. It was only an hour and a half long, which I know for a lot of people... That- Seems like a long time, but apparently they recorded four hours. The interview total was about four hours. And so it was funny. They're drinking uh, Jack Daniels whiskey during the the interview. And like during the course of what we saw in the final edit, it was like, what, three different uh, shots that they took. But it makes you wonder how many did they actually take during the course of that four hours? Well, two big guys. I'm sure they can have a, handle a lot more than that. I know, yeah. Undertaker's a big whiskey lover, so Stone Cold knew the way to his heart to loosen him up for the interview. But it was just, it was really cool. Just, yeah, as you said, here, Undertaker talk, talk as Mark. And, you know, you could hear his southern twang, you know, from, from being from Texas. So it's two Texas boys having a conversation and you can see like moments where they're getting excited to stone Cold's credit. I think he's been really getting better as an interviewer. And I think luckily since he is one of the boys, he knows how to get someone to open up. That's like his fellow peer. Yeah. And I just really enjoy it. I mean, for me, a lot of these wrestlers, the old veterans, I love hearing like more about their start and what they've, how they got into the business and how they initially uh, paid their dues. That's something because that's like stuff that maybe you and I growing up didn't get to see that, or at least we didn't have the internet to kind of research and learn more about them and their history. 
So just to hear how he got started in wrestling and and his training and how he got ripped off and took the guy's dogs and and just how he got started and then just his issues with WCW. Loki, what kind of a guy leaves his dogs too? By I the know, way? like super messed up. It's um, but just the transition from WCW and then hearing how Paul Heyman put the good word in and helped him get over the Vince and then just the creation of the Undertaker uh, character. And the in-ring performance and style. Yeah, I, th- I think to me the the most illuminating part of the whole piece was talking about how the Undertaker worked in the early days and how like that for the benefit of the character and the entertainment and the show, he had to work a certain style, mm-hmm. even though athletically he could do all these different yeah. things. But it didn't make sense psychology-wise for him because he still was very much so this zombie, dead man, scary mm-hmm. character. I really appreciate that because it was it was this the idea of having to sort of sacrifice your pride a little bit to actually play a role and play this character. And I think that's something that if you're an up-and-coming professional wrestler or even a wrestler that's already in WWE, mm-hmm. sit down, watch that interview, listen to him talk about that, and that there is there is a lot to be sort of learned from that exchange, talking about how to work given your character and everything like that that I feel like is ignored by a lot of people today. Yeah, and that, that's something like, for example, like in recent times, like Velveteen Dream, he's been very vocal about you take what's given to you and you make it work and you try to figure out what this character is and that's how you go out there and deliver. You don't complain. You know, you got to figure out why they're giving you this opportunity at this particular character and you got to make it work somehow. So for Undertaker, I just really enjoyed just hearing his stories. And, and listen, there's so much stuff they didn't get into and I'm sure maybe it's on the cutting room floor of that four-hour interview but just my main takeaway was just how loyal he's been to Vince and just how he kept saying, like, that, yeah, there was a time he could have left to go to WCW, but he didn't because it brought, even though it was a different regime running it at the time when maybe the offers were there, he's like, he remembers initially was the late 80s, early 90s when he was told he would never. Uh, Ole Anderson, nobody yeah. will ever pay to see you wrestle. And so that always stuck with him. And even though he could have made more, made more money at a certain time, quick little payday he knew long term Vince was his guy and he always respected that but there was so much other story I mean it was cool just hearing the transformation to the American Badass and then how in like the mid 2000s it was like all of his characters combined to kind of where he's at now but where, they, where do you come down on the American Badass gimmick by the way what did you think of it um I mean at the time I was kind of taken back so like but then I kind of figured he must have been a biker guy in his personal yeah. life and he's just bringing that Onto TV, and it, well, okay. Let me American Badass because that's where he came back, and he had like you know the leather pants, the long hair, bandana, He's the biker gimmick, yes. And then, but when he cut his hair short and he had like the red dead man, he's the big evil red devil. But that's more of like heel, if I yes. remember correctly. So, I so like the thing for the American Badass for me, like at the in, in the moment. As a very much so a young Mark still, mm-hmm. um, I remember liking it and everything like that and being totally, and maybe that's all that really matters. So it's like, it made sense to me at the time as a kid and I, and I didn't bat an eyelash. Like this is just what the undertaker is doing. Looking back at, I don't think it's aged as well. Uh, <laughs> look, looking back at it, especially with going back to the dead man and stuff like that. But I think, it, you know, at the time, it it was it it made total sense at the time. So I have to sort of look at it through that lens. And I and I will say 
the big evil red devil, you will respect me, Undertaker, is one of my all-time favorite heel characters in the okay. WWE. Uh, it, it just do yourself a favor if you haven't watched it recently. Go back and rewatch some of those segments with Big Evil Red Devil Undertaker. The You Will Respect Me run was so good. Uh, his ladder match with Jeff Hardy for the WWF Championship was a star-making uh, moment for Jeff um, Raw. Gr- Jim Ross on the call, uh, you know, really egging Jeff on to you know try and grab it. He came so close, only to come up short in this ladder match. It was it was star-making stuff, and and he was honest. I know he wasn't doing the zombie gimmick, but uh, the you will respect me, Undertaker. He was scary. <laughs> and like he was brutal, he was vicious. That's when he did the uh, you know, the spot with Maven in the chair around his neck into the turnbuckle post and stuff like that after he got eliminated from the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Through Maven through the popcorn machine, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor, go back and watch some of that stuff because it was really powerful. Well, for me, when when the American Badass gimmick came to be, it kind of for me at that time was like, All right, we're completely wiping the slate clean of kind of everything we've known at that point. He's starting over He's no longer the dead man, the zombie type character. And I get it. By the early 2000s, we were coming at the end of the Attitude Era. And keep in mind, Attitude Era kind of wiped away a lot of those gimmicks from like the 80s and early 90s. So suspending disbelief of like this character is out the window and it's more reality based. And so this is more just him being more of like himself and just a normal person. So you get what I'm saying? Like kind of. Middle school, high school, I used to love like you know Undertaker. Even as a little kid, just I was like, oh my god, like like there's a zombie guy coming to the ring. He's scary. Like I don't want to be nowhere near the the ring watching him. But by the time you know I got older, and I think they kind of got got away from all those type of gimmicks and more realistic personalities. And I think that's what American Badass really represented at that time, more the reality. You know, reality TV was becoming a real thing. So I think people wanted just more real, believable characters. It it was funny listening to uh, the uh, interview, too, talking about how it was like, you know, the Undertaker for the Attitude Era and stuff like that. And I sort of chuckled to myself because I was like, man, the Undertaker that I think of really in the meat of the Attitude Era, that what I consider the Attitude Era, Uh was still... It was the sort of modified, it was the Undertaker that first feuded with Kane. It was the Undertaker that was in the Ministry of Darkness. Yeah. The Undertaker, the yeah. Attitude Era, to me, is still very much so the dead man. Yeah. To, to, oh, me, yeah. to me, that was peak dead man right before, well, it, you know, Ministry Taker was obviously a much sort of darker sort of portrayal. But it was just funny to me because they were talking about, I was like, oh, yeah, it was like, you know, to change with the Attitude Era and stuff like that. I was like, wow, I mean, you've been you've been doing great. In yeah. the Attitude Era as the dead man. Uh, but I remember vividly uh, when the American Badass uh, debuted. Um, it was Judgment Day 2000. Mm-hmm. It was, do you remember the match? Well, yeah, it was, tri- it was the Four Corners. Or, no, uh, the Triple H. It was Triple H. It was it, The Rock. Mick Foley. It was an Iron Man match. And Shawn Michaels was the special guest referee. Yeah, and well, then, they showed the clip in the in the. I, I, I must have missed that, but I remember, yeah. I just remember vividly because I, I had it on recorded on VHS tape for the longest time. Oh, okay, no, um, but in the in the the interview they replay yeah. where he comes out and they break it down. I, I treated it more like a podcast. Okay, so. it was audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, they they showed the actual clip of him coming out. And throwing uh, Triple H in the air yeah. and choke slamming him. Still, in my opinion, of the three matches that the Undertaker had with Triple H at WrestleMania, 
the one he had at X7 as uh, the American Badass Undertaker is still my favorite singles match he had with Triple H at WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, I to be to be fair, I have to go back and rewatch the one that was in the cell uh, with HP Shizzles, the special guest referee. But I yeah. remember just off the bat, I was like, eh, I still think the one X Seven was better. Well, my thing I was just going to say real quick. Also, what I enjoy about the, the whole interview was um, with with the American Badass, just him talking about. Well, I mean, here's the other thing. For me, I felt like there were so many other topics they didn't get into. Like they, as a bonus cut, they threw online was him. Uh, working with Bruiser Brody and how he pissed off Bruiser Brody in one of his early first matches. Yeah. But I would love to hear the story about, because originally, remember, the Undertaker was known as Kane the Undertaker. Then last minute, they decided to drop the Kane part. But I would love to learn more about the formation of Kane and what was it like to have, like, this brother of yours debut on 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 TV. Well, to be fair, they did that, uh, that WWE Untold uh, on Kane very recently, which yeah. was just phenomenally done. And uh, that 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 was a really special thing too. I, I would love to kind of hear more about the you know the uh, his crew, the Bone Crew. Oh, the the Bone Street <laughs> the crew. Bone Street crew. Yeah, BSK. Just, just to hear about that, like him and the, the group and what they used to do, and apparently how he used to call like uh, court in the locker room. Yes. So I would love to kind of hear some of those stories. And I, Jim, I just just throwing it out there. I would love to hear kind of his perspective on WrestleMania 14, the alleged. Him standing yeah. in the gorilla position, waiting. This, if Sean did not supposedly do the job, he was going to go out there and and beat him up. I just would love if the, how true that really was. What can Probably he? Not. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to kind of hear from his perspective, but just also like him calling the shots behind the scenes on some stuff and yeah, um, locker room leader, which I think that came across really well in the yeah in the yeah interview. yeah yeah. But I mean, there's so much. Uh, I would love to kind of hear about even. Um, Oh God! There, there was something else I was gonna think of um, with the Undertaker, which is, like I said, there were just so many other like. Um, I also took away. It was interesting, you know, the whole Brock Lesnar match. How he doesn't remember it, and he didn't want to go out like that. And it's interesting. He, I think, wanted to retire after the Roman Reigns WrestleMania match, but yeah, he said Vince keeps calling him and asks to do one more favor. So I think for everyone who complains, maybe oh, why is the Undertaker coming back again and again? It's not necessarily his call or. Other P, other powers that in charge are asking him to wrestle. Yeah, going back to that with this, just briefly. I know it's not his fault, but man, WWE made such like a push that it was his last match yeah. and everything like that, and they sold a lot of merchandise basically around it that it was his last match, and then just to trot him back out there again, it's like okay, yeah, all right. Well, then don't then don't promote it as his last one then. But yeah, no, I get you. It was it was a very very good interview. I, I'm I'm thankful to have Steve back on the WWE Network yeah. too and doing these interviews, and I think. I think he is best suited to talk to people uh, from his era or a little bit mm-hmm. before and stuff like that. Because I, yeah. you know, I, th- I think that's Steve's wheelhouse. That's who he relates to. I don't think he relates as well to the to the current era and stuff like that. And so he really is able to get those kinds of stories out of guys. I mean, I got chills when they showed that photo, that that famous photo of them all in the back of the bus. Yeah, and them kind of explaining just what was going on at the time, and it just it really sim. For you and I, we see that photo. That represents our childhood. Absolutely. Like of all the wrestlers we were fans of and it just who dominated our TV screens every week and for WC, eventually WCW and WWF at the time. So it's just, God, there was so much goodness in that. And like, I mean, we can break down so much of, of that interview. But like yeah. I said, just like for me, hearing more about like 
starting the territories, the Texas days. Mm-hmm. Just I love hearing that, like the history of wrestling. Totally. I think a lot of kids now they're just used to WWE being the only game in town, and it's like you, if you want to be a wrestler, you go to a local wrestling school, do some indie shows, and hopefully get signed to the Performance Center, NXT, and so forth. Move up to Raw or SmackDown. But to hear another story of like the old school way of kind of getting big in wrestling. So like I love all that. Just, I mean, I know there's so much we can ramble on about that, about the Undertaker interview. There's so much to enjoy. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. I just started the Goldberg one, so I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to finishing that off. Uh, but we do have a lot to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, NWA had their uh, had their first uh, pay-per-view, and uh, the, the, fire! the villain showed up, uh, much to the surprise. That was a very well-kept surprise. I did, I did yes. not expect him to be showing up. Uh, Nick Aldis did retain uh, his stranglehold on the world's heavyweight championship, so it looks like uh, the villain and Nick Aldis might be going at it next. As as Marty's gonna have, be having a, a period of time in the NWA, which very surprising, but that's I mean, that is a shot in the arm for them. Absolutely. Well, I was just gonna say it, it, it was very surprising because okay, for everyone who's been paying attention, I guess his contract with Ring of Honor ended on November thirtieth. He stayed on for a couple more weeks to do final battle last Friday night, and then he showed up the next day at NWA. So I'm, I'm assuming final battle was officially his last show with Ring of Honor. He's a free agent, so I'm sure for him, he's like, all right, I'll go over to NWA. And I was, uh, I was at NXT last night and ran to our buddy Richard, uh, follow him pro underscore wrestling underscore 101. Um, but I was talking to him, and he told me, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, – Marty Skrull and Nick Aldis are really close friends. They're mm. tight. And apparently they've known each other a lot longer than Marty's known all the guys in the elite. So I think for the longest time, we all assume yeah. as soon as his contract is up with Ring of Honor, he was going to go over to AEW. Not the case. It looks like he wants to do some stuff to NWA, which I'm kind of curious. Is this a short-term thing? Yeah, He's that just would, testing the waters as a free agent, seeing what's out there for him. My 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 guess is he will still find his way to AEW yeah. sooner rather than later. But it's a it's a it is a good coup for for NWA to sort of get somebody with a little bit more star power uh, in there. And yes, they did unveil uh, their television championship, which I could not roll my eyes more at what? because. Because you already have a secondary championship in your promotion, and you've got like six guys on your roster. I, what, like what? Like the the person? Like I crack on WWE a lot for the number of championships that they have, but at least they they have a roster laden with people. the The NWA is now leading the league in titles per wrestler that they have. Like, they have the smallest roster, and they need two secondary titles. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. I will admit. I That's, was like, it's, it's a bad timing for it. Well, I will admit, I was kind of shocked because, like, they have more titles than AEW does. Yes. like And a- AEW has a bigger roster, too. Yeah, AEW. Cody's done a couple uh, conference calls, and I think an ongoing question is when you're going to introduce a second-tier title. And it's eventually, he said it's eventually going to come. But yeah, right now, and I don't think it's needed right now. I think they're smart to wait. I like the idea of a television championship, like, yeah. a, tel- uh, like a title that's defended every week on television. Mm-hmm. But this, to me, it, it's just, what are, you, what are you doing? I don't know. Yeah. It, <laughs> 75% of your roster is going to have a championship. Hey, man, we Ridiculous. all feel special. We yeah, all get- that's great. Have, hand out a participation <laughs> trophy for all you guys. Way to go. It's just dumb. 
Well, I mean, uh, okay, we'll say this. So apparently on their Instagram, they posted that on the next episode of NWA Power, Barty Skrull is going to have a chat with Stu Bennett, a.k.a. Bad News Barrett, I guess kind of explaining what's going on, his decision. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but apparently Stu Bennett was really good doing commentary, you know, as the, the replacement for uh, Jim Cornette. And I'm curious if this is going to be like a long-term. Yeah, will we'll he see. Work with NWA, but. Uh, but yeah, also shout out to Zicky Dice, our local boy. He posted he was out at the NWA. That's very exciting for him. Yeah, and he posted a big group photo in the ring on his social. That's good stuff. I think he's exactly the type of character that they need because he jumps off the TV screen. So I, we're excited for Zicky Dice. Outlandish Zicky Dice doing some stuff with the NWA is very exciting. All right. Uh, we also had locally the Young Lions Cup. Uh, Gold Rush Pro Wrestling and All Pro Wrestling uh, presented the Young Lions Cup. Uh, that, w- that was a lot of fun. It was myself, Matthew Theall, and Caesar Black on commentary, and Baby Huey, you and Tomas went out there uh, to see it. What'd you think? I loved it. To be honest, it was really cool. I, I really felt like it was a, um, a showcase of the Bay Area talent, yes, upcoming talent that we have in the Bay Area wrestling scene. And it was a mixture. It was predominantly uh, wrestlers from Northern California, men and women. Yeah. And there was a few people, I think, from Southern California who came up. But it really represented the, the uh, I would say, some of them very green, but in a good way, um, just the, the the talent pool that our local promotions are using on a regular basis for their shows. And it was really entertaining. Just it was like a, a tournament style. Um but I, I cannot say enough good things about just uh, how how much fun it was to see all these people. And I thought it was a great mixture of all these different wrestlers representing different like wrestling schools here in the Bay yes. Area and SoCal as well. And it was like it was like pride, like they're going out there representing not only themselves yeah. but the wrestling school that they come from. And I think it made for a little friendly rivalry. My biggest also takeaway: I really enjoy the crowd. It seemed like it was a lot of family and friends watching them, their 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 people on display, but also a lot of the other wrestlers that we've seen at other shows, just their attendance and support, even some also local wrestling promoters there watching as well. So I really felt it was a great way for just kind of the wrestling community to come together. Yeah, superstar Jake Atlas was there taking in the action. Uh, They were also really good because we were live streaming it. So that is available on YouTube if you want to check out uh, the show with complete with commentary uh, from some pretty good guys doing it, in my opinion. So I posted the link on the In the Clicks Facebook and Twitter pages. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, no, it was it was a really good time. uh, So I'm looking forward to doing more. And I just will say, like, it was really enjoyable seeing all of them go out there and work their butts off and develop or put out a really fun, entertaining show. And I'm looking forward because the independent wrestling scene, I think a lot of the big names that we've seen wrestle the last couple of years, a lot of them have been moving on up to either NXT, AEW, Impact, uh, New Japan. You know, they, they, they eventually move on to that next phase in their career. Yeah. So I'm really excited. This is the next crop, the next generation of talent that we can see hold down the fort for the Bay Area wrestling scene. And to me, it's like the Bay Area wrestling scene is very much alive and well, and I'm really excited to see these people keep busting their ass. It, it is it is vibrant. Congrats to uh, Titus Alexander. Big ups to him for winning the 2019 Young Lions Cup. 
Uh, also, a uh, big thank you to West Coast Pro Wrestling. Uh, you, Tomas, and I took yeah. in one of their shows. To actually, what was it, the night before night Young Lions? That was a lot of wrestling. It was a busy, busy weekend, but that was a lot of fun. That was uh, that was all of our first times getting out there to West Coast Pro, and they put on a hell of a show. I love the venue there in South City. That was really cool. So, the state uh, room. Look, looking forward to going to more of those sh- their shows as well. But, yeah, the Bay Area – uh, wrestling scene is alive and well. It's really thriving here. So. Eventually, I would love you and I and Tomas, my brother Tommy, get up to Petaluma for their promotion up yeah. there. There's a lot of wrestling to go take in, in in person, of course, on TV. So what yeah. an amazing time. There, There is a ton. Uh, real quick before we get to TLC, and my apologies to AEW and NXT's weekly shows. You guys are kicking ass on Wednesdays. You know you're the best. You're the best thing I watch every week in wrestling. It was a tie this last week. But we don't have time uh, with the TLC to get to. But, Baby Huey, you did take in NXT in San Jose. How was that real quick? It was so much fun. It, it was at the San Jose State, the event center on uh, the campus right there, which which I like going there for shows and concerts. It's like the basketball court, but it's a little bit smaller than maybe some other arenas that you might be used to going to, but a perfect size for NXT, especially like for, this was pretty much NXT house show and it was entertaining. It was pretty damn full. I will say that. And keep in mind, it was happening the same time TLC was going on. So you saw a lot of hardcore NXT fans out there. And they even said during the show, it's like, Hey, when you go home, um, go watch TLC on the network. I mean, you know, I think we're all trained to do that. Watch it later. But it, it was uh, action packed. I think it was about nine matches total with the intermission. So almost three hours. So you got your money's worth. But pretty much at the event center, there's no bad seat in there. Wherever you sit, you get a clear shot of the ring. I mean, I got to see everyone. My one little thing I was bummed about, we did not see Undisputed Era wrestle. Ah. So didn't get to hear the theme song in person. Didn't get to yell, Adam Cole, baby, or boom. Uh, the only uh, Adam Cole. What a heel move. He denied you that. He's starting to learn. <laughs> Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly did do a run-in at the very end for the main event between Keith Lee and Finn Balor. Uh, attack Keith Lee. Finn Balor got the quick roll-up, won the match. He ran out the ring. Keith Lee got his revenge on both of them. And uh, I did post some video highlights, some IG videos, IGTV, uh, at In The Click on Instagram. And uh, I'll save the Instagram stories at the top of the page as well. So if you were there or you weren't there, you want to vicariously live through us, you can check it out on our social pages. Beautiful thing. I'm glad you got out there. I'm jealous. I wish I could have gone with you, but I'm, I'm glad you went. A lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Let us get to Tables, Ladders, and Chairs 2019 TLC 2019. Um, I, I uh, you know, going going into this, it felt like, God, there was another, what was it, Roadblock or Fastlane or, or something. There was... There well, was Fastlane's like was in February. There, there right? was some show that felt just like super filler this year. Oh, uh, Stomping Grounds. It might have been, yeah, it might have been Stomping Grounds or something okay. like that. This felt like another one of those shows going into it. I didn't yeah. think they did a particularly great job promoting it. I had to be reminded that it was even on Sunday. Just uh, worry about your birthday. Kind of. Yeah, I was at work. Uh, but and you know, your birthday. So. You know, I, I, it, it felt like that going in. What did you think of the show overall? And then I'll, I'll give sort of my takeaway from it. I, I think for us, we're so conditioned now as fans of WWE. When it's a non-Big Four pay-per-view, or I guess you want to call it Big Five, if Money in the Bank is included with Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Money in the Bank. Pay-per-views outside of that, I think our expectations have 
become pretty low going into it. So for me personally, I was like, oh, yeah, it's here. All right, I'll watch it. Sometimes it works in our favor. We have low expectations, and the show actually over delivers. And there was, a, yeah, which paper? There was a pay per view earlier this year where the buildup was not that good, but it turned out to be a pretty decent show. This one, I was like, okay, cool. TLC. I don't know. I'm kind of at the point where gimmick pay per views, and this is something you and I have talked about before with like Hell in the Cell, Extreme Rules. I feel like pay per views branded around a gimmick. Yes. It kind of maybe takes away from the storyline of the match itself. We're so exactly. Fo- you ha- have a stipulation match in a match that makes sense for it. Where it calls for it, 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 it like will help resolve this conflict here. For me, it was okay. I mean, I, I cut play co- since I went to NXT last night. I was playing catch up today, watching before we, we, we uh, recorded today. Um, there were some good moments. I think Buddy Murphy versus Alistair Black was probably match of the night as far as actual in-ring quality. But, I mean, there was uh, some other good stuff as well. But, I mean. Overall, what'd you think? It was okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I am sort of, I think I like this show more than, than most of the people I've seen talking about it. Uh, I, I do think that it was poorly promoted. Yes. I think it was poorly timed. It was a filler show. Um, that being said, we got some really, really good in-ring performances because let me, let me do a quick count here. If you, if you count the inexplicable pre-show one, two, three, I, I think there were four great matches mm-hmm. on this show, like really standout matches. Uh, I th- again, so you go to Umberto Carrillo, uh, and Andrade, the opener uh, of the show proper with the New Day and the Revival, th- that is 1A and 1B in terms of what was match of the night along mm-hmm. with Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy. And yeah. I thought the main event absolutely delivered. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought there was a lot to enjoy with the Kabuki Warriors and uh, Charlotte and Becky Lynch. Uh, so that being said, those were all like really great. The problem is... And the and the post match stuff with with Daniel Bryan looking like the American Dragon again was good as well. Um, the problem is is that it it was so drugged down by an interminable match between King Corbin and Roman Reigns. It seems to go on forever. Yeah. Uh, the uh, match with Lana and Rus or Lana and Lashley and Rusev that angle continues just to be awful. Yeah. You also had the Viking Raiders and the Good Brothers or the OC, uh, which was a glorified match that you would see on Monday Night Raw in terms of the finish and everything like that. And I think that's unfortunate. I think, you know, it was it was drugged down by what was really bad on the show. But what was good, I thought was exceptional. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to throw this out there, not to go off track, but before I forget, I just kind of wish maybe they do away with the these stipulation pay-per-views. Hell in a Cell, Extreme Rules, TLC. And this is something I was talking about with some people last night, Richard, my brother, last night at NXT, was I wish they would just make Starcade an official pay-per-view. I know Starcade in the past has usually been November, Thanksgiving weekend. But, okay, I know you got Survivor Series. That's November. Make Starcade December. Yeah, I agree. And just make it a big pay-per-view to end the year on a high note. And then if it calls for a TLC-type match in the pay-per-view, do it because even the pay per view, Michael Cole said, "Yeah, next year will be twenty years since uh, the first TLC match with uh, Hardy Boys, um, 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 uh, Dudley Boys, and um, um, Edge and Christian." But it was at SummerSlam. 
but it was a stipulation for their rivalry for the triple threat, the, the three well, of them. And, and to your point, Starcade was in December quite a lot during WCW's yeah. time period. So it would fit in. Uh, I think, you know, I don't I don't know how much value they see in it. I mean, you know, fans of wrestling history like ourselves, we, we have love for Starcade and stuff like that. I just don't yeah. think there's a lot of love for the old uh, WCW names in WWE. To- like, I, I personally, instead of Hell in a Cell, would love to see Halloween Havoc. Yeah. I think I think Halloween Havoc, uh, in terms of sort of how it was billed in WCW back in the day, might have been their biggest show of the year every year. You know, it was certainly close to it. If if not, it may have been their second biggest show next to Starcade a lot of times. Uh, but back to TLC, I, I just again I really think what was what was enjoyable yeah. was was really pretty great. If Bell the Bell, but God that that that. The stuff that wasn't good just really brought down the whole affair. Yeah, and it's, I guess, to kind of explain maybe why the buildup was so last minute. Well, one, it was only three weeks ago with Survivor Series. So you get three weeks to create all these matches. And apparently the rumor is, I mean, this is the internet. Who knows how true it is? Rumor has apparently Vince, based on some recent data that they got, they're trying to get new subscribers for the network. And research shows a lot of these new subscribers that they get always very much last minute weekend of the pay-per-view. So I guess the mentality now maybe moving forward is what's the point of building for weeks on end these matches when people only get invested like last minute. So it might, so it might be best to like maybe week of start announcing your matches or start promoting them on social media, which to me that kind of sucks because I want to tune in every week and get great quality TV programming so it makes sense to do that. Give me great, compelling storylines that build up to the pay-per-view as a finish. Yeah, I, I think uh, that data, you know, maybe they sign up, you know, right before the pay-per-view or what have you kind of deal. But they're not going to get more subscribers signing up at the last minute if they don't have storylines to care about at the last minute. They're still watching the free TV. And take you know, care to of know. us who are invested long term. Well, I mean, you know, they, they could they could give a damn about us. But in, ter- <laughs> but in terms of... Uh, you know, building storylines that will make people want to sign up. Mm-hmm. This, this ain't it. You know, I, and I actually think the little, the uh, the mini feud with 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 Miz and Bray Wyatt was actually pretty well done. It was, you know, had some similarities to his feud with Roman Reigns in terms of using his kid and stuff like that. Um, but I, I thought that was, you know, good sort of a, a build in terms of a match. Uh, I again, continue to sort of dislike how Bray is treated bell to bell. However, in this case, this is the most forgivable it's been because he was not the fiend. He was the Bray Wyatt character. And he also was no selling everything and enjoying the pain. I was going to ask you with the Miz. Yeah. I was going to ask you what you thought about that match overall. I, I, I don't love it. Um, I, I liked the Miz's passion. I thought his, I thought his sort of, um, his promo before the match felt a little forced, though, because he was asked a question that and then he just it just he launched right into the sort of like his emotion and stuff like mm-hmm. that a little too quickly. It was a little forced. But overall, I liked the fact that Bray was no selling a lot of what he was doing. Um, he was laughing, you know, and like yeah. Michael Cole actually did a good job pointing out. It's like he's enjoying this like and stuff like that. And. Uh, so I, I, but I was not a big fan again of, you know, Bray Wyatt, the fiend, he gets out there, he just gets his ass kicked. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Uh, Michael Cole also mentions like, man, uh, Bray Wyatt hasn't got any offense in. It's been all Miz attacking yeah. him, which I was like, oh my God. When I heard that, I was like, y'all man, Jimbo loves that quote. Cause it's like a reminder of 
Bray Wyatt, the wrestler, just getting his ass handed to him. And again, it's more forgivable here because he was the Bray character. He was the you know the Captain Kangaroo, the Mister Rogers, the Pee Wee Herman. He was not the Fiend. It's 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 imminently more forgivable. And dare I say, they booked. Bray Wyatt stronger at TLC this weekend than they have done The Fiend because in the midst of all this offense, Bray's laughing. Bray's egging him on. We don't get that when he's The Fiend. He's just getting his ass kicked when he's The Fiend. So uh, this was more forgivable to me. It just was a forgettable match. It makes me wonder if they had a chance to do it all over again, should they have maybe the way Bray Wyatt was presented? Because I think a lot of people were like, oh, where's The Fiend? They were pissed off. It's been advertised the whole time. It's just going to be Bray Wyatt. And I think this kind of be, could be a new, um, interesting dynamic moving forward. Now it's like, okay, who are we going to get? Are we going to get Bray Wyatt, Mr. Rogers, or The Fiend in this matchup? And what does it call for? It's almost like it's its own stipulation. It's, it's a better version of doing Finn versus Demon Finn kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's a better version of that. There's a couple There's a couple notes on commentary that I wanted to point out while I was thinking about it, though. So... Uh, there was definitely some awkwardness on on commentary uh, throughout the the evening here. Most notably, in my opinion, uh, in the Alistair Black Buddy Murphy match, where Jerry Lawler was the only one willing to point out that Alistair Black had got his nose busted. Yeah, he was yeah. the only one, and and Vic Joseph and Samoa Joe like. For 90% of the match that it was happening, refused to acknowledge it because of the blood. It was so, like, to me, it was like, okay, so clearly Jerry doesn't care that, or there's been some memo, it's like, don't acknowledge the blood or something like that, but Jerry gave no Fs, and I appreciated him for it, but it was weird. It's like, dude, acknowledge what your what your broadcast partner is saying. Well, they kept focused on, like, oh, his jaw is is, is hurt. Yeah. He's, it's he's- like, yeah, he busted his nose, he's bleeding. <laughs> like, and they were, it was... It was so bizarre to me. It was also hilarious when Buddy Murphy threw Alistair's jacket and uh, you hear the audible Jerry chant get started. And then Jerry on commentary. Oh, that was the other thing, too. They didn't acknowledge like a lot of his jokes or any of the points he was making. It was like they just ignored him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he went even on commentary when he's like, yeah, none of you guys mentioned how I caught that jacket with my face. (laughs) So that was one thing. The other thing I'll note is right before uh, I believe it was the Miz and uh, Bray Wyatt were about to fight. There was that that silence right before the the intro starts, and you just hear a guy chanting, "Michael Cole sucks. <laughs> Michael Cole sucks." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I appreciate you, sir. What do you think of the KFC spot? Like the product placement. That was ridiculous. That, that like, was that one guy was like super anime. I was like, okay, he must be a local wrestler. What, what was it? It was we got KFC, we got the OC at TLC, yeah. and it's like, oh my god. But I was like, I think that'd be badass. Eat, eat, you know, food yeah, and them. watch a match. They had the best seat in the house. I'm not a big fan of uh, KFC in terms of food. I think they suck. But uh, but I would love but to have those seats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll eat whatever you want. But but uh, I will say. Like for, for the Bray uh, Bray Wyatt Miz match, I was gonna ask you this: Do you think maybe when Bray came back, maybe that's what they should have done first? Is like Bray Wyatt as the kids TV host personality should be the one doing the matches first, and then he gets like the voices in his head or whatever that causes him to turn into the fiend. Eventually, becomes like a boiling point with every rivalry he's working on. Then the fiend is like the last resort he turns into to to solve or beat someone up fully. I, I think I think that 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 would have been a fine way to go about it too. But I I think 
what's sort of different, the wrinkle uh, is with this is that, you know, he seems much more in control of when he's the fiend and when he's not, you know, it's, okay. it's, it's not like this uncontrollable and as much as he may act like it. Yeah. Like he's definitely like fully embraced what that is and stuff like that. So I, I like how they've done it. It's just bell the bell. They book him like, like bleep, like, you know, like, and, and that's the only thing again at TLC, it was, that's the best he's been booked in terms of getting squashed the whole time. Because again, he's laughing. He's no selling so much of this mm-hmm. offense. When Bray Wyatt wanted the match to be done, the match was done, yeah, and and you get to see that because he's not wearing the damn mask. But when you're the like again, the whole fiend character, I don't like that he just takes an ass beating. Mm-hmm. You know, he should be he should be more menacing than that. He should just dominate and squash people. Well, maybe that's what they could do. Maybe moving forward, kind of right the ship a little bit. Was maybe moving forward, he has matches as Bray Wyatt laughing while taking a beating, but then eventually he turns to the fiend. And then it's a quick squash match to kind of reinforce how powerful the Fiend character yeah. is. But I was going to say, what do you think of the Miz doing a, a Pentagon Junior move? The yeah, the, uh, the the arm breaker move there. I, I of course immediately thought of Lucha Underground, and you know one of the the coolest arcs of of that show was uh, the sacrificing of people's limbs uh, with the Pentagon Junior and Pentagon Dark character. Um, it felt, you know, I'm not going to lie. It felt like a little bit of a shot across the bow. I, I, I was not, I was not a big fan of it. But Bray like um, rubbing his shoulder. I mean, it was the only move that he sold. I'll <laughs> give him that. But, um, I, uh, I, so it, for the Miz as well, like, I guess I, he did somewhat an okay job representing an angry husband, father, Coming to the ring, but like he, I don't know why he did that little spin move at the beginning. Like, I wish he would just came to the ring, like tackle, double leg, go for him. Yeah, just like, like he's stomping to the ring, pissed off, and as soon as Bray comes in, yeah, tackles him and starts. Yeah, that that, that's one of the things. Certain matches, like again, going back to the Undertaker's conversation with Steve Austin, dedication, and not saying that Miz isn't dedicated character, he assuredly is. But there are those little nuances that not everybody, you know, you don't hit a hundred percent of your shots is that, yeah, that is an instance where it's like, instead of getting your, your stuff in, in your entrance, it's, you just come out. Like, even if Miz didn't even come out like in his regular gear, yeah, like throws uh, it all off so or, or yeah, that kind of deal. You're right. Uh, I do want to, I do want to shout out the main event and just how delightful, uh, the Kabuki warriors are in general. Although I do miss the pirate princess, uh, I really am enjoying the Kabuki warriors as a team. I think they really delivered here along with Becky and Charlotte, uh, Kyrie saying one of my favorite wrestlers bar none right now. She's just so good. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the first time I saw her is when she was in Lucha underground and she wowed me then. And she continues just to reach new heights now in WWE. Uh, she reportedly suffered maybe a concussion in the match. Uh, I have not seen any confirmation of that. She did tweet out, uh, just a thumbs up that she was okay. So that's good to see. Even Becky Lynch went to Twitter and said that she is absolutely a warrior. So Charlotte definitely, too. it was definitely a, uh, you know, somewhat scary situation because she did look out of it at times. But I, I thought the match was incredible. I mean, they they took a lot of risks, and and so did the New Day and, and the Revival for that matter. Yeah. But I, I thought both those matches to me really used the stipulation well. They were innovative. I loved in the in the women's main event there the uh, tying Becky down to the ladder and trying to trap Charlotte in the chair. Mm-hmm. Tremendous stuff. I, I I really loved the visual of Becky Lynch tied to the ladder. I thought that was great. I love the visual of Oscar whipping them with the rope and stuff like that. It was, I, I really enjoyed the main event. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just happy that 
the women get the main event, another pay-per-view. I think that's really cool. And just for all four ladies to take that beating, it just shows how yeah. badass they all are. And it just, I think, continuation of the women's evolution, if you want to call it that. Well, that was that's the cool thing is that they didn't have to announce it. Yeah. They just did it. And, that, and that's what everybody's striving norm. for. It's just like, yeah, this is this is the, the best built match on the card. It's the most important match. It's going to main event. And real quick, just I want to ask you, it's interesting. Um, like, I think a lot of these feuds are carryovers that maybe they couldn't get to at Survivor Series. So I'm glad they're kind of paying them off now. But I was just going to ask, it's um, okay, now that the brand split is back, the pay-per-views are still going to be co-branded, right? Because remember when the brand split we had back in 2016, it was like SmackDown, one, one pay-per-view, Raw, the next pay-per-view. It looks like they're going to be on the same page as far as each – Everyone's on board at the pay-per-view, both Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's your knowledge is as good as mine in that fact. I kind of liked the branded pay-per-views myself. Yeah. I, I think they were a little bit more fun, and they let they help develop an undercard for each brand better. Um, I, I know there there are certain pros and cons to each. You you, but but it's just interesting for me. What I'm getting at also is just how many people from the roster were not on. I mean, you had nine matches, or excuse me, eight. But it, how many people didn't wrestle? No yeah. Braun. I know he's like no Ricochet. In, no Ricochet. No Seth Rollins. No I, Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shinsuke. Like all of that. I mean, all their titles. I mean, we. Know, yeah, man. Maybe they should announce a new one, like the NWA. But, uh, oh, jeez. Uh, but I, I, I was gonna ask you real quick. Daniel Bryan coming back, um, just kind of taking down Bray Wyatt. Like, okay, you think that was good for Bray Wyatt's character that he got beat down even from him? He got away, and it wasn't the fiend. Okay. That, that's that's the thing is that Bray can sustain a lot as this sort of, you know, kid show host kind of deal. Again, he laughs off a lot of it, and he disappeared. He did his magic stuff, so you got to see Daniel stand tall, and he's returned, and we'll see the other shoe to drop on whose side he's really on and everything. That's so. why I know. It's like, is Daniel Bryan a face now again? Baby I face? mean, he'd already been sort of churning and yeah. it was interesting to see him rocking the short hair again and everything like that. Yeah, so. Red Dragon's back, but it, he doesn't age as well. American Dragon. What's that? The American Dragon. Did I say Red Dragon? Yeah. Wait, wait, Red Dragon. Slip. Who was that? Uh, wait, Red, Dra- was Red, Red Dragon was the uh, was a Hannibal Lecter sequel. Where did I get Red? Because he was wearing a maroon jacket. A maroon he, was, he, was wearing, he was wearing yeah, like a like a red hoodie. Yeah, yeah. the American Dragon. It's very good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just a, when it's, you the Undertaker earlier, you know his red, yeah, you know, sure, red, yeah, red yeah. stuff. There's a lot of red discussion on this yeah. show today. Um, <laughs> Well, I can think of no better place uh, to end this week's episode of In the Click. Oh, man. Well, Busy as always, but have a great week, everybody. It's great to be back. For Baby Huey, I'm Bimbo Jimbo. And remember, you're not in the click. See ya. And I wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs>